This is Debbie, and welcome to another brand new episode of The Offbeat Life, where I speak to inspiring individuals who ditched the norm to live their best life and become location independent. This week, I'm so excited to speak with Lola Mendez, who is a nomadic travel journalist and an advocate for responsible tourism. After living in New York City for seven years and working in the fashion industry, Lola knew she needed a change and decided to leave her job to travel full-time around the world. This leap of faith led Lola to find her passion as a writer and to becoming a leading voice in Latina travel. Today, Lola has been published in Lonely Planet, Far and Wide, Matador Network, and continues to travel around the world on a budget. Listen on to find out how to full-time travel on a budget and do responsible tourism. One of the trickiest things about being a freelancer is achieving financial stability for the long term. Unpredictable income and costs such as taxes can make it difficult to save. Be Solo helps you save by setting aside a percentage of your earnings and automatically pays your taxes each quarter. Through their self-service dashboard, you have the freedom to make deposits to and withdrawals out of your account, adjust your tax settings, and change your filing status. Try it for free for three months by going to besolo.com slash offbeat. Again, that's the letter B, solo.com slash offbeat. Hey everyone, how's it going? <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Lola. Can you fill in the gaps of your story and why you live an offbeat life? Uh, I have been on the road for almost 40 years now. I was living in Europe for the first two years and I've been in Asia the last two years. I initially moved over like most people do to teach English and realized really quickly that I felt that was super unethical because I did not study education. And just because I have a bachelor's degree does not make me a qualified teacher. So I kind of fell into the travel industry by necessity. I wanted to travel, so I started to do some pro bono work with some travel companies, helping them with their marketing or translating tours from Spanish to English in Spain. And then I ended up getting a job as a marketing director at a company in Italy for only a few months. Through that, I ended up being at the end of my Schengen Zone visa, had no idea what I wanted to do beyond not going back to the U.S. and not going back to my crazy life in New York and working at a desk and making money for someone else to make money. So I took an 18-hour bus to the Balkans, and I ended up spending an amazing summer in Croatia and Albania and Montenegro, and I met incredible people. And through that, I was kind of exposed to sustainable travel for the first time. So everything you do is really at a local level. You know, you're staying at guest houses that are literally a house in someone's home, their family home, not a hotel. You're eating at family-run restaurants. It was fantastic for me to see the difference between that and going on like group tours in Paris or a walking tour in Amsterdam. That's just kind of the same information over and over and over again. So I was waiting to be paid from the company I was working for in Italy. They owed me $10,000 and had not paid me. And when 
the money finally came through, I realized I now had the financial security to pursue something I'd always dreamed of doing, and that was spending time in India working at a women's empowerment NGO. I don't think I mentioned I was a fashion publicist, so I did PR, marketing, marketing strategy, branding, and all of that for different fashion brands. And towards the end of my time in my career there, I was really focusing on only working with brands that had philanthropic initiatives. And I realized that that was where my passion lied, you know, helping women around the world. So I went to Jodhpur, India for six months and I worked with the Women's Empowerment NGO there. And what I did for them was I focused on helping them develop their marketing and their communications because that is where my skill set lies. And I really think it's important when you volunteer internationally or at home to only take on roles where you are highly skilled. And if you don't have experience in childcare, you probably shouldn't be working at an orphanage. If you are not a vet, you probably shouldn't be working with sick animals. So a lot of the really the best volunteer opportunities that there are overseas are going to be the ones that are behind the scenes. So Lola, is there any specific organizations or websites that people should go to if they do want to volunteer, but then you know for sure that those organizations are reputable? So GivingWay is a really great free platform, and they vet all the organizations that they list on there, and it's, it's completely free. So a big red flag is when a volunteer agency asks you to pay them a massive, massive sum, because this isn't a statistic, but let's say at least three quarters of that likely stays in the third-party company and doesn't actually go to the NGO. So you're much better off making direct contact with an NGO and offering your services. You will probably need to pay your own way there. You will probably need to pay for your own food and your own accommodation. What you're offering are your services for free. You shouldn't go into it expecting what you're going to get for free in return. You know, it should be a a selfless thing that you want to give. The most impact you can make is by volunteering long term. So whether that's a month or six months, that's how you can really make a difference. For short term projects, I really encourage people to think about whether they are taking a job away from a local person. So if you are building a house that you have no experience building a house that you have this one day experience building, are you building it well? Could someone local who's been trained how to do it be paid to do that experience? Maybe you'd be better off giving a presentation about whatever it is that your career is in to a group of young children who are perhaps marginalized or receiving free education through an NGO and need encouragement to stay in school and pursue a further education. You know, th- think, think about what it is that you have to offer rather than what you will benefit. A lot of people don't think about that about the aspect of them actually taking a job from a local person because you're just there and it makes you feel good. But then what do they get from that and what do they take away from that? And also, there's been a lot of things happening where if you're just there to teach children for a few weeks, they bond with you and then, you know, you leave and then it's a heartache for everybody. So there's always that emotional connection that they get from you. And then you just taking yourself away from it. So which is really heartbreaking. Absolutely. I see that happening all the time here in Asia. And people who are not trained educators, the people who maybe don't even have English as a first language are taking on English teaching jobs. And I think it's such a disservice to children. And if you really feel like what you have to offer is teaching, but you don't have the background in it, what I would recommend would be to figure out how you can train local adults, how you can practice English with local adults who could then perhaps get certified and become teachers in their towns. I think you can make a much longer impact that way. 
and you know, you can offer tutoring services or do like language exchanges or things like that if you just want to help here and there. And that's normally with adults. So it's not going to be, like you said, like an emotional experience. You know, children aren't used to having a bond ripped away from them really quickly. And that's why you should be extra, extra cautious. So Lola, you're a writer and you're Latina. How has your voice been differentiated as a writer and as a traveler? It took me a long time to feel like I had the authority to be a voice for Latina travelers. And I think there's a lot to unpack there because, you know, my father is from Uruguay. My mother is American. I don't like to consider myself half anything. I grew up with Uruguayan culture. I am Latina, (laughs) which I have written about a lot. But suddenly this responsibility kind of landed on my shoulders and I became a big speaker about this dialogue that there are Latinas who are traveling and there are opportunities and there's no reason you shouldn't go out and explore the world. When a lot of the people of color conversation, you always see these like incredible black travelers, but they leave out so many other minorities who are also out here exploring the world. And we also deserve an audience. We also have incredible stories to tell. We're also sharing our culture with the world and learning about other cultures. So somehow this opportunity has presented itself to me where I, I've really been able to take on a lot of roles where I'm writing about Latina travelers. So I've written about different Latina travelers to follow for a few different publications, including my own. And then I started an Instagram account called Latinas Love Travel, where I purely just, it's just like any other travel Instagram account out there with beautiful aspirational photos from around the world. But this account is just dedicated to Latinas. And Latinas are such a diverse group of people. You know, we come in all shapes and all sizes and all colors and all cultures We're from an entire continent. So there's so much diversity. And, and through that, I've connected with so many inspiring people who are literally crossing borders as they, as they travel the world and breaking stereotypes because, you know, the Latina culture is very much so family driven. You need to stay at home. You need to get married. You need to have a baby. You need to provide you know, to travel be very selfish. So there's a lot of hurdles to overcome for a lot of Latinas who want to go see the world. My hope is with this platform is for them to find people they can speak to and find inspiration from and see that it's totally normal and acceptable and life will continue when you get back from traveling or if you're like me and you choose to never come back from traveling, that will be okay too. Um, there are some really great websites out there. Travel Latina is one of my favorites. They've been around forever. They also have an Instagram account, which is great to follow. And I also really love Hip Latina. So if you're looking for more Latinas in, in all realms, not just in travel to follow or get to know, they're excellent. And it's just nice to see this representation finally starting for my people, but also for, I feel like finally, all sorts of minorities are taking their place. They're, they're saying we're here. We have a voice. This is what we want to share. You know, my Indian, Sri Lankan Thai, Cambodian friends, they, they, they have a place where they can share their stories and not just be grouped together as Asian or Mexican, you know, that they get to be, they get to be the individual that they are. And people are finally appreciating that and wanting to learn about their culture. And I think that's something that's really beautiful that's happening on, on the web right now. <laughs> we figure out more about different cultures as we travel as well. And then there's a lot of us who are Asian Americans or Latin uh, Americans who give voice to the people who don't have a voice yet. So Lola, you are a nomad and you do this full time. How are you able to sustain being a full time nomadic person? (laughs) This is a question I get asked every day. 
And I've recently started on Instagram stories to kind of break down my cost of living day by day to show people how little money I'm spending in comparison. In New York City, my crappy apartment was $2,000 a month. That's over $50 a day. Now I'm staying in a beautiful, eco-friendly hotel in Siem Reap called Babel. I have air conditioning and Wi-Fi. I have a desk. I have a closet, a shower. This is $25 a night. And that's a big splurge for me. I normally spend $10 a night on very comfortable places. You know, I'm not staying in the cheapest dorm rooms anymore like I used to when I first started out. So as far as cost of living, being in Southeast Asia is is very affordable. And in a lot of places, you can spend a little bit more and make an impact with your money. You know, I could be staying in a private room in a hostel for $10 a night, but why wouldn't I spend a little bit more to be supporting a an organization like Bobble that is focused on sustainability. And in Simrip too, there are loads of social enterprise cafes. So I've been working from those most days. And again, I'm spending more than I usually would. I'm spending about $10 to $15 a day on all three meals, which is still significantly less than what I would spend if I was eating three meals out a day in New York. Not only is my cost of living less, it's more enjoyable. You can do things that I would have never dreamt of doing, even on a six-figure salary in New York City. You know, Lola, I live in New York City right now, and everything is so expensive. And then a lot of my friends are nomadic, and they live in Latin America or in Asia. And then we compare to each other what they actually get to do. And I'm here like, well, I make more money than you. You make less, but you get to do more. So... (laughs) It's really the about the, lo- yeah, the quality of life is so different and it's not about how much money you're making. It's about the location you're at and what you're doing with it because you can make a million dollars, but everything costs so much. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I always say even if I made a million dollars, I wouldn't move back to New York City. So Lola, before you left New York City, did you plan this out for a really long time? Did you have a lot of savings when you started traveling or did you just make that decision and just went for it? Uh, it felt like a long time for me. I would, I think I had about six months from the moment I decided I'm going to the moment I left. Uh, I had a girlfriend come visit me that I had grown up with in Kansas and we were in the same class and she, since college had lived in Peru, Australia, and was on her way to live in Spain. And she came to visit me in New York and she was like, look at your apartment, look at your job, look at all your success. And I was like, look at you, you've lived all over the world. Like, I want that life. She's like, no, no, I want your life. That was a year before I left. And I decided, okay, if I really want that life, why am I not doing it? You know, like what is stopping me? Like, it's been so easy. It's been so easy for her. You know, she made it seem so simple. And so she helped set me up with applying for the teaching job in Spain. And it all came together. Actually, when I left New York, I hadn't even gotten the job in Spain yet. But my lease was ending on my apartment the same day I was at my agency for three years, and the same day, my parents moved into a beachfront condo in Florida. The universe was lining everything up like, hello, (laughs) this is what you're supposed to do. For six months, I had decided, okay, I'm going. I didn't tell anybody, but people started to catch on because I was selling all of my stuff. I wouldn't go to dinner. I would walk home or take the metro. Like I was being so, so, so frugal and working in the fashion industry. That's really weird to people. 
when you work in the fashion industry, you spend a lot of money on your upkeep from blowouts to manicures to going to the newest restaurant to taking, you know, Uber back then was crazy expensive when it first came out. It was only black cars. It was a very costly life. And I just cold turkeyed everything all at once. And people were kind of like, what's going on with you? I think because I worked in the fashion industry, I was able to sell a lot of really luxurious products. And every time in that moment, it broke my heart. But I would tell myself, this is a plane ticket. That's a month in an apartment in Thailand. You know, I would just tell myself what that money was worth to me, you know, and why I was doing it. So I think when I left New York, I had about $10,000 saved up. It takes a lot of savings and a lot of being frugal and giving up certain things, you know, to actually do this and to feel comfortable to do it. And it's also mental. You get rid of baggage, both physically and mentally by letting things go. You know, I worked in fashion. I had three closets. I think even, so I lived with my parents for five months in Florida before I took off for Spain. And I filled up my dad's car, I think, with six suitcases, which felt like nothing because I had gotten rid of so much stuff. Six suitcases, it's like, I can't believe this is all I have. Now I live out of a 60-liter backpack. My lifestyle, my way of living, my way of dressing myself has changed so much. But I think those six months, like you said, of being really frugal actually really set me up well to be a good traveler because I really started to relearn the value of a dollar. You know, I was brought up in an immigrant family. Of course, we learned the value of the dollar. That's like the root of everything we do. But living in New York City, you kind of start to forget that. And I kind of retaught myself that. And so having that mentality that I started to travel, I didn't splurge on silly things. You know, I I chose apartments that were reasonable. The teaching job in Spain paid a thousand euro a month. And I was certain, I was certain I wouldn't be able to live anywhere. Like I was certain I was going to have to like be a, au pair and live in a closet of someone's house because a thousand euro a month sounds like nothing to a New Yorker, right? I mean, can you imagine if you made what's like $1,200 a month? I think I made that my starting salary and it was terrible. That is the reality of New York City for sure. (laughs) So Lola, let's fast forward to 50 years from now and you're looking back at your life. What legacy would you want to leave and what do you want to be remembered for? I definitely want to be known for being a part of the sustainable travel movement and making it more mainstream to be conscious of the impact in everything you knew, everything you do, not just in travel, but in your lifestyle too. You know, I used to walk around with like a hundred bamboo straws and pass them out to people and tell them if you throw it away, it's okay. But just like consider using this, <laughs> you know, and, and, and straws are just the really the tip of the iceberg. But sometimes I don't know if it's just my circle or if change is really starting to happen, but I'm seeing more and more people who are not in the sustainable network or community making changes in their lives to cut back on plastic, to cut back on waste, to come back on their carbon emissions. And that is incredible to me and really makes me feel like being an advocate for this is making a difference slowly but surely. You know, if we all make little changes to our daily lives, we can preserve this planet because in 50 years, we not, might not be here to have this conversation. And that is terrifying to me. You're right. There has been a lot of movement and a lot of change happening everywhere, which is pretty amazing. And it's so wonderful that everyone is taking notice of that and they're actually doing something about it. Let's get to some fun questions. Lola, I nerd out on interviewing people like you and hiking. What about you? Do you have anything that you nerd out on? Not to be a broken record, but when I meet people who are doing things within the sustainable industry, like like where I'm staying now at Babel, They've been operating this for a few years, way before it was trendy, way before your average traveler cared about this kind of thing. So when I meet people who are trying to make the world a greener place, just because it's what they believe in, I nerd out over that, you know, and it's so 
fulfilling for me when I meet someone who is like-minded and we can share and network and brainstorm on different ideas. And we always come up with something that's, that's huge, you know, whether it's a small change that we can make in our daily lives or a new way to kind of present our beliefs about sustainable living to your average consumer who's maybe on the fence or has maybe been fooled by too much greenwashing. It's really great when you meet people like that, especially since you're traveling, Lola, I'm sure you get to meet so many incredible people who are doing sustainable living and have sustainable lifestyles. It's always more to learn. I don't think there's such a thing as being a completely responsible traveler. It's just, it's not possible. And I think it's really important to give yourself some grace. My biggest recommendation to people is to tackle it one thing at a time, whether that's plastic bags, plastic straws, or plastic water bottles. Just focus on one until it becomes so normal to you that grabbing your reusable bottle is just like grabbing your keys or your lipstick or your passport or whatever it is that you always have with you. And once you get to that point where it's just a constant part of your day, then go to the next level because you'll have a lot less mess ups and you won't feel, you won't feel discouraged. Now, what are you working on today that's really exciting for you? I have quite a few articles I'm writing right now that I'm really excited about. Uh, being a freelancer means that the topics I cover are wide, and I only pitch story ideas that are stories I want to write. So I'm not on retainer anywhere. I don't take assignments from anyone. Everything I write is an idea that I sent to an editor, and then they thought was worthwhile. So I'm writing quite a few personal narratives right now, and then a lot of stories about Costa Rica, where I spent two months earlier this year. So that's exciting for me. Uh, I never thought that I would be an essayist, and now I've written three essays for In Style, one for Cosmopolitan, one for Paper, a few for Chinos, and I just turned one in actually about being a Latina who is not fluent in Spanish. That's a really important topic to me, and I'm working on one now about choosing not to wear makeup any longer in hopes of finding true love. Because I believe that the person you're with should see you at face value and love you in your bare skin. They're going to see that anyways after a little bit. <laughs> Especially when you're traveling and you're on a 12-hour bus or spontaneously going swimming in the river. It's going to come all off anyway. Or you're in 100 degrees. It's just going to melt right off. <laughs> now, Lola, if our listeners want to know more about you, where can they find you? So my website is called Miss Filatelista. And I'm also Miss Filatelista on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So it's Miss, M-I-S-S. And then Filatelista is F-I-L-A-T-E-L-I-S-T-A. And Filatelist in English means stamp collector. So rather than collecting postal stamps, I'm collecting passport stamps. Perfect. Thank you so much, Lola, for speaking with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Debbie. I really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Lola. Make sure to visit theoffbeatlife.com. Again, that's theoffbeatlife.com to get the extended interview with Lola where she shares her beauty tips around the world. Offbeat family, I really appreciate you listening to this episode. I would love to hear more from you and what you think of the podcast. Suggestions on guests, topics we can discuss, or maybe you just want to be friends. Why don't we chat some more on Facebook at The OB Life or send me a message at hello at theoffbeatlife.com. I can't wait to hear from you.